1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, 25. We begin a new study by the grace of God. The title is Called to Preach Christ. Called to Preach Christ. The Word of God tells us in the 23rd verse of the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, mm -hmm. unto the Gentiles or the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. If you wanted to understand, if you wanted to know your purpose, if you wanted to know your calling, if you wanted to know the why am I here of it all, we are reading it now. I suggest you look at it again, that you mark that place in your Bible, that you come to terms with reality. We preach Christ crucified. That means we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ from the perspective that God gave his only begotten son for the sins of the world. That is how we Christians preach Christ. Let it sink in. Any other declaration, any other way of presenting him other than the crucified, resurrected, and returning Lord of glory is invalid. We preach Christ crucified. Every major religion rules out this point. There are multitudes of bloodless religions telling you you can obtain godhood, you can reach the divine, you can become divine yourself, all without a cross, all without a need for a savior. I heard one man say, and he said it very violently, and he said it with a lot of ugly words that I can't even use in church or out of church. That this was a, a fable, a, a fairy tale of some guy coming and giving his life. And then the whole world can be redeemed by that action of one man. Yes is the answer. But the Bible has told us that if our gospel is hidden, it's hidden to those whom the God of this world has blinded. Blinded the eyes and the minds so they cannot even see the cross. They cannot see the need for the cross. They cannot see the need for the Savior. But we who are called by God should and must understand. We're not looking for a new thing to tell people, something that they've never heard that will tickle their ears, some fanciful tale that will make them suddenly want to know what it is you're doing. No, we are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the word of God. We preach Christ crucified. Amen. The answers of God sound like foolishness to some. And it's not based on how intelligent or unintelligent the hearer may be. It's based on a disposition of the heart. Amen. 
And if someone has chosen to look on the cross as unnecessary, they would have done it from whatever background they are from, from the highest to the lowest. But we preach Christ Jesus. The Jews, because of their stayed place, locked in the Old Testament, refusing to budge, refusing that Jesus has even come, he becomes a stumbling block. What is that? Something you trip over. Something that is right in your path, right in your face, but because of your refusal to deal with it, you fall over it. Mm -hmm. It's a stumbling block to you. You wish it were not in the way, but it is. It's blocking the way of your religious mentality. The Jews stumble over Jesus. The Greeks, known for their philosophy and their philosophizing Consider this to be a wives' tale, just another story of some God who came from heaven. Everyone is familiar with Greek mythology. Just another God in the pantheon of gods, just another character. So this cross is foolishness to them. And those that buy into that natural wisdom not the wisdom of God believe you are wasting your time. You're sitting there praying to the air. You're talking to the atmosphere. Your imaginary creature, your imaginary God is not there. No one's coming to save you. This is what they say. This is why we must preach Christ and Christ alone. I've sit in many lectures. I've listened to many philosophers trying to approach the cross from a naturalistic standpoint, trying to be, quote, so in touch with the humanity that they explained away the mystery in such a way that God wasn't even in it by the end. You have to accept the fact there is a place that only God can reach a human soul. Hallelujah. Only the Holy Spirit can do the work of God. We are called to preach, to proclaim Christ. That is the extent of your responsibility. That is inclusive of your prayer life. That's inclusive of your fasted life. That's inclusive of your daily testimony and witnessing. All of that, when we say preach Christ, that is all included. It's not excluded. It's included. But it is a foundational work of the Holy Spirit to touch the heart of the hearer. And we are trusting in God. The power of God. Jesus himself. Are you understanding? To do the work of the cross, mm. no matter how it may sound to men. Mm. He calls it your primary objective. This is your sole focus. This is, again, your why am I here of it all. To preach the cross of Christ to a dying world. To have one thing clearly marked on your agenda. May I be in a place to deliver this message, whether in my personal life, my professional life, my academic life, my social life, wherever I may be found, is there a way, is there an inroad, is there an opportunity for me to present the Son of God? 
Ephesians 1, 11 and 12 reads, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ to those who are in the body. That should be a blessed message of comfort for you, for me. You should take great consideration and care in what was just written. That God has predestined us according to his foreknowledge and given us an inheritance. Actually, it says we have already obtained it. It is from the position of one within Christ that we preach Christ. We are not like a salesperson who represents a company who they themselves may not even use the product that they're selling. Their objective is to try to get the uninitiated, those on the other side of the coin, to buy the product. So they go up and down the roads day and night trying to find persons who will accept their sales pitch. That's not the cross, ladies and gentlemen. We're not trying to sell anybody anything. We're not trying to convince somebody that Jesus is a better option than option B or option C. No! We're telling a very clear and specific thing to persons that Jesus Christ is God. That Jesus Christ died for your sins. That Jesus is the only way to God. That the Father has sanctioned only Him and only his name as the entry point into everlasting fellowship. Before you were born, God knew you. Amen. Before you opened your eyes from your mother's womb, the very last day on earth was written. There are no mysteries in your life to God. Nothing that you have been through, nothing that you will go through in the next five minutes or the next five years. Should Jesus tarry, you have been predestined according to his purpose. We have to bring it down to this level now. We want to turn the situation to understand this. The whole universe is sitting upon the prerequisite of God. The whole access of the world, the galaxies of galaxies, the spaces of space... They're all sitting upon the divine will of God. It doesn't matter if they discover 20 billion planets that can support intelligent life. Everything that you see and do not see is sitting on the domain of the divine God. You've got to wrap your mind around that. And allow your spirit to embrace this truth. You are not. And, and this is probably beyond this room. But to those who are listening. Online. You are not an accidental character. You are not the product. Of some scientific goo. 
You are not the amalgamation of sludge and slime that came together in a few molecules and a chemical reaction and, the, and boom, there you were. No! You were divine, divinely and specifically created to inhabit this space, this planet. And those who are purposed by God, there is an awakening that must happen in us that makes us accessible by the Holy Spirit and makes us usable by God. There is a, a, a mass of restriction in many persons because they're disconnected from purpose. They're disconnected from the objective. They have got in their minds they're here to do something else. Can you imagine? Let's go this way. There's an operating theater. There's a patient on the table. There's the anesthesiologist. There's the nurse over there. Everyone is standing around. Hands washed, gloves on hands. Everyone is standing around. The patient is there. The area has been scrubbed. Everything is perfect. They're under. And in walks the chief surgeon. Hands raised. Gloves on. He walks past the patient, goes to the corner and grabs the broom and begins to sweep. <laughs> and everyone is, what is going on? What are you doing? We're waiting on you. We're waiting for you to assume your God-given position. Because until you get there, the operation will not begin. Why? Because you're predestined to carry out this operation. So where are you? You're sweeping in the corner. What's, what's happening, church? What is going on? People who are standing in the pulpit, some of them should be sitting in the pew. And some of those in the pew should be in the pulpit. Some of those leading revivals should be out there on the street witnessing. And there are those sleeping on the bridge who should be in the church leading worship. God is revealing in the last days, ladies and gentlemen, he's opening the eyes of every person who wants to see. What are your dreams like? What, what, what are your meditations like? When you are by yourself and you're sitting with the Holy Spirit, what are you talking about? What kind of subjects come up in your conversation when you're walking down the road and there's nobody, no music, no video, no internet, nothing, just you and God. What's going through you at that moment? Does the time seem long or short in your spirit? Do you have a sense of in, not impending doom, the devil's a liar, but the impending return of Christ. Are you looking and seeing that these are indeed the last days? And we need to be further along in the journey. The Bible says you are predestined according to a divine purpose that you can't even see. A purpose that existed before you existed 
was already in motion when you came into the world. It was already going. And do you not see that everything will go back to the purpose of God? Verse 12 says exactly what I've said in long stretches. It says it, that we should be to the praise of His glory. Amen. How can that be unless you are in the place of His glory? Mm. My God. When you get in the place of His glory, that's in alignment with your divine objective, your primary goal. The glory of God is released upon your life in your place. We heard the secular world say it. They said it many times. They said, no one can beat you being you. They said it in commercials. They said it in, in, in marketing exercises. No one can beat you being you. Amen. Beloved, God said it first. Amen. No one can stand in that place that you're standing in the way you can stand in it if you're standing under God. I read a story this morning in the early hours of a, of a group of missionaries and what happened to them. We'll get to that by the grace of God, should time permit. But what was so amazing is that when you commit yourself to God, the outcome of that committing, God knows where this is going to lead you, where this is going to take you. Every decision that you make before the Holy Spirit, there is an outcome on the end of that decision. Wisdom tells us, include God in the planning process so that you will end up in that place. I can testify of how many times where I've gotten left or gotten right and the result being different. But when you're walking directly into the will of God, your primary objective, this is your main reason for being, as it says there, set in advance. Every other thing is an aside, an addendum, something needed but added later to put you in a certain category. Do not allow, do not permit. Do not think of anything greater than your primary objective, which is his election, his selection, his calling. The Holy Spirit said, put emphasis on how great this is about the will and the testimony of God. Make it so that no one will misunderstand whose program is this, whose universe is this, whose church is this, whose life is this. 1 Corinthians 1.26 continues, For ye see your calling. Do you? That's a question. You see your calling. Look at your calling. Brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Read it again. Are you sure, Lord? Yes, I'm sure. For ye see your calling. How did God call you? From where did he call you? What are the circumstances of your arising to that call? Not many wise men after the flesh, 
Not many mighty men after the flesh. Not many noble after the flesh are called. Those would be considered according to human standards. Those that the world considers wise. Those that the world considers mighty. How many jets you have, how many boats, how many ocean liners, how many cruise ship, cruise missiles, whatever you are possessing. Those who are idolaters running after fashion magazines and glamour magazines and star magazines and what are the stars doing and Hollywood actors and all these people thinking that that's the interpretation of greatness, that's the interpretation of wisdom, that's the interpretation of nobility, how many crowns you have on the queenly head or the kingly head. God is not calling in that category by many. I'm glad I put that the way the scriptures say it. Because mm. the devil would try to say, oh, you say there's no, no mighty people? There, there are no great people that can be called from God? The scripture doesn't say that. The scripture says, not many, mm. beloved. It didn't say not any. Mm. Amen. Taking away the M, it says not many. Why? Because persons in those categories, by and large, I will say that again, by and large, that means the majority of them trust in their wisdom, trust in their might, trust in their nobility. They trust in their excess. Their riches are their defense. Their wealth is their comfort. Their ability to turn left or turn right or go to this hotel or that motel or own that island or, or jump in that limousine. They do not look up. Christ said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which was a gate, hump and all, than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. Why? Because they are trusting in their riches. So God does something very characteristic of God. But if you don't know that, if you don't know that, you will say, that's strange. But it's not strange according to God. He has intentionally sought out individuals who do not meet the description that the world says you must be in in order to be effective in this earth. Was not David? A small shepherd boy who grew up as a small young man to kill a giant. Hello? Did not Gideon have only 300 men to take on thousands in terms of armaments and armor? It is always so that God can demonstrate, I don't need any particular thing to do what I want to do. And I can use anyone at any time to affect my will. Consider the circumstances into which you were called. Why you is the question raised there. Why, why did God call you? Why did he issue your name and say you? The calling and the election are both based on God's grace and his requirements. That's the answer. Mm -hmm. Jesus told Peter very clearly that there was a need for him. There was a requirement for him. In the, in the instance where he told him, he was speaking of the devil. He said, Satan hath desired to have you, 
that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. In other words, you are sought after by more than one source and more than one force. But the intervention of Christ says, you will not go away and you will not go down. If you look at Romans 9.11, in speaking of the fathers of Israel, look at what the scripture says. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purposes or the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Are you seeing that? That the election of God is predicated, as we have said, upon God's requirement, his calling. Being in the womb, the two sons, Esau, Jacob, they had not come out yet. They had not done anything yet. But the calling was there before they were born, having done neither evil nor good. Why? The purpose of God sitting on those children. If you go further, chapter 11, in that same book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 5 and 6, look what it says there. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. The election of grace. Talking about the Jews now. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So if all truth is parallel, what we have just read causes us to understand that the calling of God is based upon His requirements. If you are an employer and you had a particular list of duties that you needed someone to do, what would you do? You would create a job description. And then you would put that description online or in the papers or advertise in some way. Why? Because you need someone to fill a specific list of tasks called, we call, a job description. Do you go out and find someone and ask them, hey, what do you do? And they tell you, I do this. Then you go back and say, well, let me write a job description based upon what he does and I can hire him. No. No one does that. The need... The requirement pushes the process. Those whom God requires to operate in his program, the job description is already there. Those who are willing, many are called, few are chosen, are then drafted in to fulfill the requirement. Jesus drafted five offices and selected men people, persons, to fill those offices. Are you understanding? So the election, the selection, and the calling belong to God. The job descriptions are already there. Persons who need to fill them are in requirement, and in some cases in shortage. Setting apart, the word sanctification, is the setting apart with the purpose as you see the illustration there, the leaving 
the world system and going towards the cross means that is a journey of departure. And you're departing in many different ways. You are departing from ways of thinking that the world has that the cross does not have. You have, to, you have to understand it. There is a way that God moves his kingdom that is disassociated from the way this world operates. You cannot mesh them together. They will not work. Why? Because his kingdom is eternal. And it extends beyond everything you see. So we're preaching Christ from this transformed state. What are you hearing? What are you understanding? You are preaching Jesus from a position of having been and are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. The changing of the way you were, the coming out of the kingdom of darkness, the being translated into the kingdom of light, so the scriptures are sinking together. <coughs> To sanctify as a verb simply means to set apart as or to declare holy, to make legitimate or binding by a religious ceremony, to free from sin, to purify as in saying, may God sanctify that person's soul. So we are set apart for a purpose and those who continue on in God have no desire to go back to the former ownership mindset of this world. But what you must understand as a wise saint of God, every time you step out of your door, you are walking among the dead. You are stepping on the bus with corpses. You are standing in the supermarket among the deceased. This is a very different way of thinking. Because God alone knows every individual who will stretch their heart and their hand to Him. I'm not a Calvinist. Therefore, I do not believe that God created people for destruction. I don't believe that. There are some who do. I don't believe that God made individuals just to send them to hell. I don't believe that. I believe that God has said he did not want any person to perish. And that he so loved the world, John 3.16, as we quote all the time, that he gave his only begotten son. So with hope and heart, we preach Christ crucified. In the event that some may say, yes, I don't know who they are, God knows. But this establishment of truth, this bedrock, this foundation, that even though I'm standing in the midst of corpses and the deceased, I do know there is a remnant among them. There's a beating heart somewhere in this crowd. There is someone on your job who will say yes to Jesus. There's someone at your school who will say yes to Jesus. There's someone in your association, in your neighborhood, who will give their heart to the Lord. And we must be diligent to allow the Holy Spirit through us to find them. If you are on a rescue, a search and rescue mission, 
whether it would be a helicopter or on a boat, and you were sitting there with the life preserver, the life ring in your hand, what are you doing? You are scouring the face of the ocean if it were a crash there. You're looking for survivors, ladies and gentlemen. You're looking for those who are yet alive and not dead among the corpses, among the deceased, among those who have rejected God, those who have laughed at the Lord and thrown their fingers at Him. Yet there are survivors in there. There are some who have not yet chosen for darkness. And we are searching through the rubbish heaps, whether that be the rubbish heaps in the White House, the rubbish heaps and the palaces, the rubbish heaps, the dung hills, the hedges and the highways compelling them to come. Who is them? Them is everyone. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.27 continues our journey and says, But God has chosen. What has He chosen, ladies and gentlemen? God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen, not me, not you. God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise things. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. It seems like it's disproportionate. It seems like it's an impossibility. It seems like, well, maybe God doesn't understand what he's up against. Of course he does. And he has destined and predestined it to be exactly how it is. And those who are crying out in the caves, in the rocks, those that the world, the Bible says, were not even worthy of their existence. Yet, he uses them. Verse 28 continues. And base things of the world, and things that are despised, hath God chosen. You, uh, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. What was, what was said earlier applies. That God elects to choose whom He will to work His purpose. Mm -hmm. Father God, in the name of Jesus. If you look, as we said earlier, there's a reference we wanted to give you. If you look at the image there, you'll see a line of caskets in the front of a ceremony. Each casket represents a person who was brutally murdered as a missionary. If you look closely, you will see three small caskets in the midst of them. Those are the caskets of the children. They were beaten with stones, or excuse me, with pieces of wood. They were stabbed through with bayonets. All the women were molested before death. One was so viciously attacked that the axe was still in her shoulder when they found the bodies. These were all, I might as well say it, Elium Pentecostals who simply went to preach the gospel. Who simply answered the call of Jesus Christ. Church, we have not suffered. Mm. We, 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 Westerners, we have not suffered for the sake of Christ. Am I being an advocate for some type of morbid 
Death? No. Am I pushing forth you as a martyr? No. I am accurately looking at the historical record of those who have really given everything for the gospel. Pushed themselves out of every comfort zone for Jesus. Base things of the world. Things that are despised. God chose them. Things which are not. God chose them. 29. That no flesh. How many is no flesh? None. No flesh should glory in his presence. No flesh should glory. Not your building. Not your accomplishments. Not the books you've written. Not your movies. Not how many titles you wear. No flesh. Not when people are dying for the cross of Christ. When Jesus himself, help me Holy Spirit. When Jesus himself gave everything. Don't you dare bring your activity and lift it up as some stinking small badge that should be rewarded. He said no flesh would glory in his presence. If you don't like that then don't go to heaven. I can guarantee you now, your name will not be on the billboard with God's. Nobody will know your title there. They won't be calling you reverend in heaven. They won't be saying pastor to you in glory. They won't be saying, oh, archbishop. Those who are feasting themselves on human titles and loving the worship of men, I advise you not to go to heaven. God will not be calling your name in recognition. No flesh. We're so inundated by the worshipers of human achievement that we think God is like that. We think heaven is as idolatrous as we are. I can assure you, it is not. No flesh, ladies and gentlemen, will glory in His presence. I advise you to start laying your crown down now. I advise you to start taking off your pretense now. I advise you to start letting it go. Let your ego go. Let, let your big self-esteem, let it go, brother. Let it go, sister. Learn what it's like to be on your knees before the Father. Get used to the fact that heaven belongs to God. Not your denomination. You won't see the name of your church written anywhere. Your group. My heart is breaking for the body of Christ. When I see what is going on in the name of God. And when I recognize what is coming towards us all. No flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, verse 30 says... Are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God, Christ of God, is made unto us wisdom? Read it again with understanding. But of Him, God, are you, we, in Christ Jesus, who, Christ Himself, of God is made unto us wisdom, made unto us righteousness. Made unto us sanctification. And made unto us redemption. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to worry, stress, or try to deliver to God 
his son. He has delivered his son to me. When we take the communion and we remember the greatness and the gloriousness of his achievement in his going before us into glory, we can look forward and say, my calling is in Christ and I am hidden in him. I am veiled inside of him. And it will appear one day totally what I am in Christ. Though right now I may operate in obscurity, his light will outray, shine through. And I'll be found in him. So he is my wisdom. He is my righteousness. He is my sanctifier, my sanctification. He is my redeemer, my redemption. Every ounce of my trust is in him so that my flesh does not try to glory. Take credit. Christians praying, taking credit when someone is healed as if it was their prayers that made the person be healed. God doesn't need your prayers to heal. If he did, he wouldn't be God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He asked us to pray that we might enter into fellowship with him. That we may understand what it's like to walk as a child in the presence of God. Not that you should get a big head and think, I'm a prayer warrior. I'm a prayer leader. I'm a mighty intercessor. You are ridiculous. And you don't even know it. You see, every time you draw attention to yourself, you distract from Christ. Every time you try to get people to recognize who, quote, you are, you're diminishing Jesus. Maybe you didn't know that, old listener. Maybe you didn't put two and two together and see it that way. No, 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 no. No flesh will glory in his presence. He is our wisdom. He is our right standing with God. That's what righteousness is. Right standing with God. He is our setter apart. Sanctification. Set us apart for purpose. He is our redeemer. Buying us back from hell. That according as it is written. He that glorieth. We've said it ten times. Glory in the Lord. What are you glorying in? I'm glorying in the fact that Christ is my redeemer. He's my sanctifier. He's my righteousness. He's my wisdom. And he's given me the right to tell the story. In Jesus' name. This passage, we should all know it. It's large. I try to look and say, well, where, Holy Spirit, can we break it? Couldn't be broken. From 1 to 12. The word of God is complete. I will only read it. The Holy Spirit has done his work in the preaching of the message for the day. The preaching is done. I will read this verse in the presence of our family. Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 1. He uh, who hath believed our report, question, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed, second question. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, 
And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him as stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth as a lamb to the slaughter. I'll read it again. And as a sheep before the shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? Third question. For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he was made, he, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercessions for the transgressors. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. That's the, that, there it is. That is the Christ that we preach. That is the non-glamorous, non-Hollywood smile, non-nice hair, non-spray-on-tan Jesus. The rejected, the despised, cast away the unpopular that's him that's the real Jesus not the Hollywood star with the nice smooth palms nice gleaming white robe he made himself in this situation for us but when he comes he will be gloriously unrecognizable riding on a white horse having on himself King of Kings, Lord of Lords, filled with every power that he laid down before he came into the earth. Every eye will see him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. This is the gate through which he came to us, to go ahead of us. 
We preach Christ crucified, buried and resurrected. Amen. I stand to receive the word of God. Father, we commit our way into your hand. We thank you for those who are assembled here today, that they are indeed witnesses of this great God.